It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, the United States versus Donald J. Trump. That is the federal case against the former president, who pleaded not guilty last Tuesday in court in Miami, in a first-of-its-kind prosecution. No ex-president has ever been indicted on federal criminal charges until now. Of course, a few months ago in New York City, he was indicted in a completely different case. But in this one, former President Trump is facing 37 counts related to his handling of classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago, Florida resort after leaving office. Some were seized by the FBI, which led to special counsel Jack Smith being appointed to probe this documents case. Smith's also investigating Trump election fraud and interference claims and the former president's conduct around the January 6th Capitol riot. All that could lead to another indictment at a later date, but for now, we focus on this case, which former President Trump calls evil and heinous, a political persecution. He held a fundraiser hours after being arraigned, claiming since he's the Republican frontrunner in the 2024 White House race that President Biden is trying to take him out. Now, the other day, right before Trump went to federal court, we spoke to constitutional law expert Jonathan Turley, and he had much more to say than we could fit into the Rundown podcast. So we thought it'd be good today to post the entire interview, which is what these extras are every weekend. So we thank you for listening. Invite you to come back every day for more on the Rundown. Now Jonathan Turley on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us again on the Fox News Rundown is Jonathan Turley. He's a Fox News contributor, a professor at George Washington University Law, and also a constitutional legal scholar. Professor, thanks very much for being with us. My pleasure. So this is a big day. First time this has ever happened. We have a former president going to court, this time in Miami, and Donald Trump will be facing a federal arraignment 37 different criminal charges related to the classified documents that he had at the Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida, some seized by the FBI. So this is, I mean, this is new ground for all of us. Uh, It's not totally unexpected. We knew this investigation was happening. This is obviously a big deal. What's your take on what's going to happen today? Well, for a couple of years, I've said that this was the case that Trump needed to be worried about, and specifically an obstruction charge. The reason is that the prosecutors are bringing some of their favorite charges, things like false statements, obstruction, conspiracy. Those are called the darlings of federal prosecutors because they're brought so often. They tend to win on these charges. And this is a rather daunting array of charges. Now, 31 of those 37 charges are coming out of the Espionage Act. 
But the indictment was crafted to avoid some of the main issues raised by the Trump team. For example, he's being charged under part of the Espionage Act, which makes it largely immaterial whether the documents were considered classified or not. Uh, these are charges that he held uh, national defense information and mishandled. Uh, that material. And there are obviously devastating aspects to this indictment. Now, putting aside that we haven't heard the defense position on these things, uh, what the indictment suggests is that they have an audio tape where the president is literally holding a document that he says is classified and contains what is reported to be an attack plan on Iran. And they quote him as saying, this is classified because I never declassified it. And so it's still secret. Well, you couldn't have a more damaging statement if that is indeed on the audio tape. All right. Now, the fact, you know, we haven't seen how the defense can knock down some of these charges. But on its face, uh, this is a very serious matter for the president. All right. One of the things, though, with the Espionage Act, it dates back to more than 100 years ago. And what it seems to be intended to punish someone for is having the willful retention of national defense information with the intent to harm the United States. Is there any allegation here that he was going to do anything to betray the country? No, there's not. Although courts have interpreted that harm uh, to include mishandling of information. And so the defense, the prosecution is likely to argue that this still meets that definition. The, the, the Trump team is focusing on challenging the Espionage Act by saying that this was originally a, a, a matter brought under the Presidential Records Act and that the PRA is what governs these disputes between former presidents and the archives. And so their argument is that the PRA essentially supplanted the Espionage Act when it comes to presidential documents. I'm a little bit leery of that argument for two reasons. It's a novel argument. It's not, you know, I'm not saying that it's frivolous, but I think courts are likely to reject it because when the National Archives told the FBI that there were classified or national defense information at Mar-a-Lago, uh, the FBI essentially switched horses and said this is now an es potential espionage act case. But more importantly, even if the PRA attack works, there's still other counts on the table. You know, there are false statements and obstruction that wouldn't necessarily go away, even if they won that point. What I'm trying to get at here is that the reason this is such an existential threat is that the Trump team has to run the table. They have to take down every count because they have a 76-year-old client. And even one of these counts can bring between a 10 and a 20-year maximum sentence. That's a terminal sentence for someone uh, of this age. All right. I want to get to that the punishment side of it a little bit later on. I want to focus on this idea of obstruction. Now, Jim Trustee, former federal prosecutor, he was on the Trump defense team up until Friday morning. But earlier, before he was no longer on that team, he had done interviews. And his point was, getting back to the Presidential Records Act, that there was not a crime here. It was more of a civil statute, and there was a negotiation between the archives and the president, former president. And he said, you cannot obstruct 
a non-crime. And he said that the former president could have had a party throwing all the materials in a bonfire and it would not have been a crime. What's your response? Well, Jim is a very experienced prosecutor, and I think he did a very good job in this case. The The problem is I just don't think courts will accept that argument uh, because the national defense information documents are not Trump's documents. They're not uh, presidential records subject to his discretion. Those are national defense information documents. They were generated for the purpose of the national defense. I think courts are likely to reject that sweeping of an argument. It doesn't mean that Jim doesn't, doesn't have a point here. There is a, a a very weird way this investigation began. Many of us were critical of how fast it ramped up into a criminal matter. But um, I'm still skeptical that they can use that uh, as, as sort of a silver bullet to take down this entire indictment. I, I don't think that's going to work. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. In the indictment, there is talk about Evan Corcoran, who had represented former President Trump in this. And apparently he has said to the grand jury or whoever he was interviewed by, that he was pressured to thwart investigators from getting some of the classified material and that the former president suggested to him that it might be better to lie to investigators and withhold the documents. How damaging is Evan Corcoran potentially to former President Trump? Enormously damaging. The reason it's much like the audio tape, there's certain types of evidence that jurors tend to take to the bank. They believe what they can see. They believe what they can hear. But they also tend to believe certain types of witnesses, Some, in many cases, more than they should. For example, witnesses, uh, maybe eyewitnesses, and studies have shown that eyewitnesses uh, are routinely wrong about what they saw or heard, not intentionally, but they just, they, people think that when you see something that it's embedded in people's minds. Not. Well, another example of that are attorneys. You know, it's rare for an attorney to testify against his own client. That's going to add to his credibility. Yeah, but what about attorney-client privilege? Why does, I mean, the former president said on Newsmax in March that um, witness, they're bringing in the attorneys who are witnesses. It wasn't supposed to be that way. Well, I have some questions about this as well. This is going to be one of the threshold challenges that they make. The government argued that this fell into the crime fraud exception, that if they can show evidence that the lawyer himself was involved in a crime or a fraud, then courts can compel them to testify. Even putting aside what evidence they had for that, what I was really struck by is how much leeway the court then gave the prosecutors. It's one thing to say, well, you can ask them a certain number of questions and have a very sort of limited scope. There doesn't seem to be anything limited here. And, you know, you have to be able as a client to talk to your lawyer, even if you are saying things that are wrong. Uh, or potentially criminal, because the role of lawyers is often to tell a client, no, you can't do that. Uh, but you're not going to have that moment if, if clients believe that their lawyer can drop a dime on them uh, later in a, in a case. 
So I think there are some concerns here. This is very damaging stuff, you know, because this attorney is going to testify. He's already done it under oath. So you can pretty much consider this testimony locked in. And Corcoran is going to say, I came away with the impression that Trump wanted me to obstruct. And there were other witnesses who said that Trump seemed to be suggesting to them that they might want to just destroy some documents, referring to Clinton and her lawyer and how her lawyer destroyed all these emails. And they actually quote Trump as complimenting the Trump, the Clinton lawyers and saying those were good lawyers because they destroyed evidence to protect their client. When people are talking about this case, there's a lot of political defense that's going on about the former president. He's being targeted. The Department of Justice is being weaponized. Uh, they, they didn't go after Hillary Clinton. She wasn't charged with the email scandal. And they're also bringing up something was, that was found in former President Clinton's sock drawer. Years ago, he had these audio cassette tapes that... Judicial Watch went to court over and they tried to claim that that he had classified materials. But what's the difference between that? Because a lot of Trump defenders are citing this whole Bill Clinton case. Well, first of all, uh, you know, this may be the most widely discussed indictment that few people have read. Uh, I think that most people are not interested in the content of the indictment. Uh, they believe it follows a pattern. For some, it follows a pattern of Trump flouting the law. For others, it follows a pattern of the government pursuing Trump relentlessly. He's a victim. Uh, right. And so a sizable number of the population just sees this as part of a pattern, and that's it, and they're not going to really spend a whole lot of time uh, listening to the other side. Uh, on these cases, there's distinctions here that can be made. But one thing I think is true is I think that the Department of Justice uh, did treat Clinton differently. The default position was different, that uh, when it came to Hillary Clinton, uh, the FBI was incredibly accommodating. You know, her, her staff told them to pound sand. They refused to hand over computers that had classified material on it. And the DOJ sort of shrugged and spent weeks trying to convince them, gave them immunity agreements, allowed for the destruction of the computers. I've never seen anything like it as a criminal defense attorney. Uh, that's obviously not how they treated Donald Trump. So I think that you can see this as part of a continuation of a department out to get Trump. But that doesn't answer all the questions, right? I mean, they could both of these things could be true. They might have been after Trump and he might have made it really easy for them. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people say, why didn't you just give them back? Give the boxes back. We wouldn't be here. Well, that's the interesting thing about this indictment is I think it did reveal what they're going to argue is the motive. You know, some people had ludicrous arguments that Trump was taking these documents to sell them to foreign agents. I mean, it just shows you how crazy folks have become. But the government is suggesting a different motive. Uh, they're suggesting these are trophies. I mean, they, the reason they put in that audio tape, it's not just that it's damaging to his credibility, but it gives a motivation for what is inexplicable to most of us. I mean, all of this could have been avoided by just turning over all the documents. He would still have access to the documents at the archives. 
And I think the government is suggesting that he wanted them for the most base reason as a trophy. Now, with regard to the Clinton case, the distinctions there are that the Clinton matter involved something that the that Clinton argued was effectively a diary, that these recordings were really his own product. And it went to this judge in D.C. in 2012, and she said, look, even if these are presidential records, I can't order them to be turned over because effectively the PRA is toothless. So you, you, I, you have to rely on the president's discretion, but I don't have the power to order it. Now, a lot of people appointed to that and said, well, that's very different from what happened here. They started out with the same issue, and then suddenly you've got a criminal raid. Uh, there are some comparisons there. Certainly, once again, the FBI did not seem at all interested in doing raids and seizing stuff and turning this into a criminal investigation. As usual, the default for the Clintons was cooperate and accommodate. They have never shown that, it seems to me, to Trump, even though they negotiated at Mar-a-Lago for the turning over these documents. I think they should have given them uh, an additional subpoena and a formal notice letter that they would be proceeding criminally. Uh, They don't have to, but I think it would have been better to do so. But there are distinctions with the Clinton case. Clinton was arguing a point that other presidents have made, that these were sort of like presidential diaries, which really are his property. The government here is is alleging something far more serious, that there was an overt and express effort to obstruct, to conceal, and to, uh, to falsely misrepresent facts to the government. All right, so we have a former president who will be going to be arraigned and then presumably put on trial at some point. I know this is hypothetical. What if he is convicted? You earlier had mentioned that he could face time in prison. This is a man running for president again. What do you do? How how do you handle that? Well, first of all, the, the, the first reaction I had after the Jack Smith press conference was to one of the relatively few lines that he gave. I mean, it was a very short statement. But one of the lines was Jack Smith saying, we need to have a speedy trial. And it, I chuckled a bit on air just because it was a bit too open. I think he revealed the, the his hand when he said that. Uh, I think that Smith's greatest concern is the calendar. That time, It's not Trump, it's time that concerns Smith. The reason is that if the defense plays this correctly, they could delay a trial to the point that a judge would be uncomfortable having it too close to the election. That would push it past 2024. If that's the case, Smith may never see the inside of a courtroom with a jury because you already have one presidential contender promising to pardon Trump. It's expected that others will make that promise. But also Trump can pardon himself. Right. If he's elected, he doesn't go to prison, right? He doesn't even go on trial, correct? Right. So that's why Smith was 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 rather open about his biggest concern is he wants a speedy trial. He wants it as soon as possible because he's going to run out of time. How do you do that, though? I mean, the former president's facing a trial, presumably in March of next year, on another indictment in New York City on something completely different. 
Yeah, and it's going to be difficult, I think, to get that. Now, on the state charges, whether in New York or Georgia, Trump cannot self-pardon. The governors of those states can, but they can grant a pardon but uh, for a state offense, but not uh, not uh, Trump or anyone who's elected president. I think that the courts are going to accommodate Trump, uh, but there's going to be some early fights about this. For example, Trump is planning to do some type of rally after his arraignment. That's going to force the issue with Judge Cannon. There's often the imposition of a gag order on criminal defendants to ask them not to speak about their case. But this case is going to be one of the issues in the presidential campaign. Trump is going to run on it. And so I have a real problem with telling a presidential candidate you can't run and discuss this case, which you're saying is the weaponization of the justice system. If you had to put a date, when do you think there could be a trial? I would still bet on after the election, uh, but it depends on how well the Trump team plays their cards. Uh, I think they could push this past uh, past the election. And then it's anyone's bet as to what's going to happen. Jonathan Turley, Fox News contributor, professor at George Washington University Law, constitutional expert. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you. My great pleasure. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.